Dina Bala, mm-hmm. thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Episode number 61. Um, I think we can maybe start out with what it's been like your first year here at Gilman as a Penn Fellow. And maybe for some people who aren't familiar with the Penn Fellowship, um, if you can just talk about like what, what that experience has been like so far. Have you guys even done a weekend yet or no? No, that's this weekend. That's this weekend? Yeah, that's this weekend. Okay, is that at Penn? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Penn Fellowship is a two-year program, um, which you know, you did it, um, where I get my master's in the science of education while um, teaching here. So it's like a residency, and they have them at a bunch of different private schools in a lot of different places, I think mostly on the East Coast, though. Um, so I'm here at Gilman doing that for two years, getting my master's while also teaching 10th grade English. How did you find out about the Penn Fellowship? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, about a year ago, made the decision to graduate early and then, like, panic realized I actually needed a job then um, <laughs> and, and thought I would go into publishing, like into book publishing. But as I started to look for jobs, the job search was just really actually unexciting to me. And it's like, if I don't even like the idea of these jobs and like looking for them and interviewing them for them, then maybe I don't actually like the job. And I thought I would always, I always thought I would teach, but I thought I'd like try to make a bunch of money. And, <laughs> um, and so realized that what if I just skipped the make a bunch of money part and yeah. went to teaching? And so started looking into teaching jobs. And I went through Carney Sando, which is like a teacher placement agency, which you've probably heard of. Um, and they connected me and sent my resume to Gilman and to a bunch of different pen fellowships. And I first realized that this existed and they would like pay for a lot of my master's. And I would get this like incredible experience learning from all these mentor teachers in an independent school world that I'm very comfortable in. Um, it kind of felt too good to be true. Now, you, this was all happening in 2020, so it was probably, right, 2020? or Yeah, 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 a so year was, ago, yeah. So it was a little difficult with COVID and everything happening. Were you able to come to Gilman at first, or was it all online? It was all online. I didn't come to Gilman until after I accepted the job. Okay, wow. I didn't even move to Baltimore until after I accepted the so job. So how did you really decide on Gilman if you had never really been here and couldn't really get a feel for the place? What, what about it really struck or stuck out to you at first? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first conversation I had um, with Brian was he like described, I, I don't know, I was like this all boys school in Baltimore. I don't know, like I'll have this conversation just to have it. It's always good to have a conversation, right? Yep. And then I'm in it. And one, he was just lovely to talk to. And two, he described, he was like, yeah, like our community of boys is like beautiful and vulnerable and like passionate. And I don't think I've ever encountered like a man talking about a group of boys in that way with those words. And that just like really struck me. Um, and also just like the opportunity of the Penn Fellowship Program and the, the um, so both of those things mm-hmm. really made me interested in Gilman. Um, and then we just kept going down the road and it really seemed like my philosophy towards like literature and just community and all of these things felt like it matched really well. And then I would be able to do like, you know, the ways that I want to deconstruct boundaries in literature and, like, deconstruct a lot of racism that's within literature and racism racism that was within, like, what I, how I learned and how white my bookshelf was for so long, right? Um, and that felt like this was a place that I could do that and, like, question those boundaries and be really critical. Um, 
and that was really inspiring to me and I think also it's really good for me I've grown up around sisters and around a lot of women and it's good for me to like rethink what I think about boys Mm, yeah it's interesting did you uh did you ever consider working at all boys school before no and 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 why independent school why did you look at independent schools in the first place yeah, I went to a uh, private high school in um, Connecticut, Suffield Academy. Um, I was actually just there this weekend. but And I grew up, before that, I went to Rembrook School, which is a day private school in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. So I've, like, born and raised in this, like, private school environment. My sisters both went to private high schools. Um, and it's comfortable. And I think, you know, I was graduating early and, like, kind of, accelerating my life by a year and the idea of going to a place that I could like really grow and explore this like new phase within something that I understood because mm-hmm. um, the teacher coach model right like all those things are what I grew up around so right. I like knew what I was getting into in a way that I think um, was comfortable and supportive for me to like take these new steps and to grow within we talked a little bit before about Suffield Academy and your experience there. And Charlie Kahn is the... Yeah, Charlie Kahn is the Charlie headmaster. Charlie Kahn yeah. is the headmaster and yeah. he's a Gilman alum. Yes, yes. Um, so did you start going to Suffield in high school or mm. were you there for... Yeah, it's only 9 through 12. It's oh. just a high school okay. boarding in day. Um, just like 420 or so students. I don't know if it's bigger now than it was then. Um, but yeah, I started, started there in ninth grade, went through 12. What was your experience like? And that's way up there, right? That's like Connecticut, northern Connecticut, like yeah. right on the border. Yeah, right on the border. It's like 15 minutes from Springfield, Massachusetts. Like tobacco farming, little town <laughs> that has like three restaurants, Suffield Academy, and like a grocery store and stuff. Yeah. What was the, um, how was that school different for you than you think Gilman is? I mean, I know that's mm-hmm. a boarding school and it's a little bit different, but they're both independent schools. Um, is there anything that sticks out to you that's maybe different or similar about Suffield and Gilman? Yeah, well, I mean, it's co-ed, but no, you're asking more than that. Um, that's a big one, though. Yeah, that's a big one. I think that they're, I think being on this other side, being on the faculty side, things feel so different. Yeah. Right? Like, especially as like a high school teenager who's 14 and away from home and living in a dorm, like, I don't know if I have like the most... I don't know, the the view of a school that I have now, like at Gilman, where I'm like hearing what's behind, like in the faculty meetings and hearing like the intention behind things versus like in high school, you just are experiencing and you're really biased and like kind of angsty and annoyed with everything. Um, (laughs) So, but yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. I think that they feel like really distinct places, like really different places, but I don't know if that's just the phases of life that I'm in, in them. True. Um, But yeah, that wasn't really, I mean, the classes are so different too, right? Like I go to like five or six classes a day for four times a week. So just like the academic schedule there. And when there are Saturday classes as well, so you're like kind of constantly in school in a way that's, I feel like the opposite is here, right? I've always wondered about that at boarding schools with the Saturday classes. Is that, is that like just in the morning or is that yeah. all the time or is every Saturday you have class? Every Saturday, yes. Every Saturday you have class. Um I think mostly it was done, and we were honest about this there too, to keep us busy because like kids get into trouble. Yeah, with true. It. And you're like have a bunch of 14 to 18 year olds living on your campus. You got to keep them busy. Um, but Wednesdays and Saturdays were half days, so only three classes. So basically, like a normal day here, <laughs> you would have school till like 12:30 or so, and then the like that afternoon would be all of your athletic 
games and stuff. So everyone would only really have games on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were at Suffield, were there certain teachers or coaches that kind of put a idea in your head that you maybe wanted to teach one day or was that kind of retrospective for you now thinking about some of your influential teachers and coaches? Yeah. It's so funny that you asked this question because this weekend I went back specifically for a ceremony where they were uh, dedicating the pool to my swim coach um, who's coached there for like over 40 years. His name's Andy Lowe. Um, And he coached me when I was like five and then brought me to Suffield and I was there through high school. His swim and water polo coach and like an amazing, amazing man, like hundreds of people came to like celebrate him. It was really wonderful. So yes, I think like to a certain extent, he, when I told him I was doing this, was not surprised at all. Um, mm. Has known me forever. There was also like my seventh grade uh, English teacher told me to come back to Rembrook, uh, which is the school I went to in West Hartford. He was like, "Yeah, when you're when you're done, like come back and teach with me." Um, and also my like high school English teachers weren't surprised. I don't think anyone was surprised. I think this like made a lot of sense to a lot of people. So you were always into English from from day one. Yeah, yeah, which is really opposite from the rest of my family. They're all very math and science. Hmm. Um, tell me about, well, we'll get to the English part, but swimming, that's mm. a big part of your life. When did you kind of get started with, with swimming and how did you, um, you swam in college and mm-hmm. how did that kind of take shape? Yeah. So I think my first meet, I think I was like three and a half or four years old. Um, we, I lived in Bethesda for like four years. Oh, you did? Yeah. When I was really little from like one to like five or six and swimming, like country club swimming in the morning and the summer is really big in that like Potomac Valley area. So that's how we started. I mean, my mom forced my sisters and I, my older sisters, we all swam. Um, she grew up in Florida and like watched, this is kind of morbid, but like had like watched a lot of people drown and like like people that never learned how to swim so it felt really important to her that we all knew how to swim but Mm. i don't think she knew what she was getting herself into as like put us in swim team um like countless and countless of hours later she's like geez like i just wanted you to know how to swim but so it was just a life skill at first at first yeah Hmm. um but so i started swimming when i was really young i like joined we moved up to connecticut when i was about five and joined a club swim team there and I was mostly going because my older sisters were going um and that was the first practice where Andy Lowe coached me and was like geez I had a five-year-old in my lane today um but so I started there I like quit for a year when I was like eight or nine because my sisters quit and my mom wasn't going to take just me mm-hmm. and then but it's yeah so it was always a huge huge part of my life and one of the big reasons I went to Suffield is because they had the best swim team like when I joined my freshman year they had won the New England like prep school division one championship for the past two years. We won it again my freshman year of high school um, and we were really good and like it was wonderful to swim around there. And so, um, yeah, it was just always like most of my life was spent like school, swim, school, swim, school, swim. I think when I got to Tufts and realized that that could be different and I didn't love the team there, then I was like, oh, wait, like there's so much else I want to do. And so that's when I quit after my freshman year. That's usually what happens is college just takes it to the nth degree and there are so many other things going on and yeah it's like I want to be on the newspaper I want to like be a writing tutor I want to do all these other things that like are facets of my like passion that I haven't gotten to explore yeah um what was so this coach that you're talking about Andy Andy Lowe Andy Lowe what was it about him that made him such a legendary swim coach and how he how did he influence you yeah i could send you the link to my speech i gave about him on saturday oh wow yeah Yeah. (laughs) um i like there's too much to say 
Like yeah. he's the most amazing man in like the f- mo- craziest of ways. There's just like magic in him. And I said this, and it's just like, he has a swimming IQ, like no person I've ever met. Um, knowing how to give like exactly whatever swimmer needs. So like I would be in the pool for like two or three hours and watch like my best friend come in around like four, leave around five 15. I'd be there at three 30 to like six, like, and that would frustrate me then, but he knew exactly what I needed and I've never felt faster. Um, and it like would have sometimes the most like insane sets and you're like, what is this even doing? And then it always worked. Um, or like telling you to swim this event and you're like, why am I swimming this event? And then the points like, always were my favorite like um he was always giving you what you need not necessarily what you wanted um and also so funny this man like told me when I was eight and I quit for a year and I came back and I'm nine and he like looked at me and he was like you would have been so fast if you never quit it was just like funny moments like that that he's just honest and like sweet but not sweet I don't know this doesn't make any sense there's too many things to say about him yeah um what is his background in swimming how did he become so wise yeah. as, a, as a coach yeah well he went to Loomis Chafee which is in Connecticut yep. Windsor he also went to Stanford and, and swam there so okay so that's big time swimming yeah he, he was a big swimmer he swam himself and I'm pretty sure he played water polo himself but now I'm doubting <laughs> it so I don't know why I'm doubting that okay. I just should know this but so, yeah so he had a huge impact on you as a mm. as a swimmer in high school yeah he was also my advisor and like known him forever did he teach there too or yeah he yeah he did teach and that's something he like taught and advised and coached like similar to how things go around here oh cool yeah awesome um all right well s- swimming huge part of your life and then english obviously you've always loved books mm-hmm. and you've had some great english teachers um how did you kind of decide that you wanted to study english in college and kind of pursue uh, teaching English afterwards was there a moment or was it kind of always like you said your teachers always kind of knew that you might end up doing that but was yeah. there a moment when you kind of decided that it was a, a right decision for you yeah I mean I was always gonna major in English that was just never a question for me the question would be like well was I gonna double major or like what would my other thing be mm-hmm. um, so that was yeah I don't know it was always that I loved language and like loved peeling back the layers like how you have these words on a page like literally inks like black marks that have meaning to us and then you can like slowly pull them back and like see all of these other things um and I loved that process and I loved the ideas of that um and always I think there's something really special about having a book taught to you something I like I'm already missing as I'm out of school like having somebody else walk you through that process and like peel back those layers for you and with you Mm -hmm. um and so the idea of doing that in college and like having all these classes with all these different books where someone would like, I was never going to give that up. Um, I also majored in sociology. And so that was more of like a decision versus the English was like, it was going to happen. Um, Why sociology? Where did that interest come from? Yeah, I just took a social class my first semester and similarly felt like it was peeling back layers, but not in like literature, but in like the world around you right like Mm -hmm. all like in society and things that I hadn't been critical about that like I wanted to be and giving me like tools and language to talk about that and I did a lot of like research method stuff there so I got to learn like how to collect different types of data and like use them to talk about people which was cool and to like put into conversation as because there's something about books that want like books want to speak to human behavior in a similar way that sociology does they're just like different sides of that Mm. 
What was the first social class about? Like, what, what was the subject that fascinated you so much? Yeah, it was family and intimate relations. So it was like very personal too, right? Wow, it was like yeah. thinking about my own family and like my family's a little funny. My father's Indian. My mother's Caucasian. She's a white lady with blonde hair, blue eyes, right? Like completely different from Florida, completely different family situations, but also so like, so it's a thinking about my family, I think was really fun. And then thinking about other families and fathers and ideas of fatherhood and motherhood. And I don't know, felt. That's pretty cap- cool. Captivated. That's way more immediate than I would have expected. I would have thought it was like, right. Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, they, they hook you with something like that. And now I'm like 12 social classes later. Like, yeah. Geez, I guess we're doing this. How about English classes in college? What were some of your favorite classes that you took? That's a good question. Um, that's hard. It's a hard question. Yeah, it is. It's really hard. It's question. like um, I was doing an interview actually for the Penn Fellowship. Okay. And it was, uh, what's the school in New-, in New York City? Like Trinity or Riverdale? Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And it was my it was my interview. Yeah. And everything was going well with Riverdale until the last question they asked me, which is funny because I do this whole podcast with the book recommendations. Yeah. And I read all, like I'm similar to you, obsessed mm-hmm. with books, reading all the time. And the guy was like, what's your favorite book? And that was the interview question. And usually, I mean, that'd be, that'd be easy. But I kind of like choked. I was like, uh, like I'm reading this and like I love this book. And yeah. I think that's what did me in. Like that's what <laughs> I doubt they based it all on that question. It crossed me off the list there. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. But <laughs> I think so. I, I think I asked him actually. I was like, what, what could I have done better in this interview? And he was like, you kind of, that book question really, <laughs> <laughs> really screwed you up. Well, now you'll never you'll never screw it up again. It's like yep. ingrained in your memory. Favorite class? Um, I took this class. I would like at Tufts, the English major. You have to take like two pre eighteen sixty literature classes, um, and I took one called I think it was like Art and Illusion or something like that. And it was like the Age of Enlightenment, but like all about like illusion and like kind of like un reason no it was called the age of unreason that's what it was Mm. the age of unreason so it was like within this period where you have all these like scientific discoveries and that's what's going on in the world right and then it was like well like look at all of this like chaos within this literature and we read this one shorter story called phantomina which is one of my all-time favorite stories now it's called phantomina okay it's crazy i don't even know if it's like quite appropriate but um it's just an it's about this woman who um, basically is like, at, she's like a upper class young lady who's like at the theater and is watching, um, like a prostitute get all this attention from men. And so she decides to like dress up like a prostitute and come and like gets attention. And like, this just like fuels this like cycle of disguises and like trickery and confusion and amazing word choice and it's just mm. fascinating to me and i loved it i wrote like many a paper on it oh wow yeah okay i'm gonna have to check that out yeah you should it, and that class was just cool because i thought i would hate pre-1860 literature and it became my favorite thing hmm. tell me about the book that you wrote in, mm. in college correct yeah and yeah. kind of the process of how that came to be yeah Definitely. So right around the time that I was feeling really disillusioned with swimming, um, somebody like posted in a Tufts class, like, have you ever wanted to write a book? Like fill out this survey. And so I was like, sure, I'll fill out the survey. Like, I don't think I ever thought like, I was like, do I want to write a book? Maybe. Sure. Why not? Like thinking that it was like data for a class that I was helping someone with. But basically ended up being that there's a professor. I'm not sure if he's still a professor at Georgetown or if he just now does this. Um, But like, 
Eric Koster, who like started this program to help young adults get published. Usually like they want you to have some sort of goal, right? Like I want to get published to go into this field or like for this to happen. Um, and so where was I? So yeah, so I like, it's a program that kind of walks you through the whole process and they help you along the way. They like connect you with a developmental, developmental editor. They give you like, there's this program called Quip that they use to like, um, all these like spreadsheets and give you all these tools to think about like, you know, lay laying out how you're going to write this book. And like, you need to have this many interviews with people done by this time and whatever. Um, and so I started along this process, kind of like falling into it right as swimming was like coming out of my life and it gave my, me like purpose and mm -hmm. excitement in a way that like I hadn't been feeling with swimming since I left Andy Lowe's care. Um, <laughs> but so and like I yeah so that's kind of how it fell into it and I wasn't really sure I was like I don't have anything to write about and then I was he asked me on a phone call he was like well what do you like to talk about and I was like well I like to talk about books he was like so write about books I was like oh like I could write I guess like sure now I get paid to talk about books this is overall like a win for me <laughs> um but yeah so and then I just started thinking about really those layers that I was talking about like peeling back those layers but also like the physical layers that like this this paper bound thing can fall into my hands and I can want to like devote my life to like talking about this. Like, what is it about these like physical paper with like black marks on it that we've decided mean things? Like, what is it about that that feels so powerful to so many people? And so that was kind of, as I started to think about that, then I would like interviewed people like rare book dealers and um, librarians and just, um, like bookstore owners and all these different people that like spend their lives with books and that like kind of fell like created this project that I like went through this process with them reflecting on it I wish I took more time I think that like I'm now such a better writer though I would probably say that if I wrote it now five years from now too right yeah um and there are lots of things I think I wanted to take more time with that, like, because I was in this program, I had, like, deadlines to meet. And it was, like, a year-long process. So in a year, I was like, okay, like, now it has to be, like, published. But I don't Is this think your last year that so, you wrote it? Yeah, it was published 2019. So okay. two years from a few months from now. Um, what did you learn from all of your interviews and your conversations with librarians and authors and mm -hmm. like, what, what are some of the things that they told you that like enlightened you on this process of book creation? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, one of the main things that I got to, it was just like the art form that a book is. I think that we treat it slightly differently from a painting, but, um, I think that there is like such art in all of the process behind a book and, and to create that art, so many hands have to touch it, right? By the time I'm holding a book, there's, like, so many people that have put so much into that, like, physical object, into the words behind it. Like, that books pass through all of these hands, and then I read it, and I give it to you, and you read it, and then it passes through. So, like, they can have all of this influence and in, I think, like, a physical and mental way that, like, I don't know, that was fun to try to capture. That's basically what I was, like, looking at the people and the process and, like, the passion behind these things. The, uh, the passion, the intention of, like, the cover and the layout, yeah. the fonts, the structure, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, and then when you decided to, to like, put this all together and write your own mm -hmm. book, um, what was that like for you in terms of, like, because it seems very much that you were thinking about the process of writing books and what the book is and how it's an art form and then you were going to do it yourself. Yeah. So it's how like is that? Super meta. It really is. And yeah. how is that um, maybe different or um, 
similar to like what you expected in that process? Yeah. Um, I think it was, I think it like informed that process in the sense that it was hard. Yeah. Right. Like it was difficult. And like, honestly, I wish more hands touched my book. I think I wish I had like more editors to like tell me that this made sense in my head, but wasn't as good on paper. Right. Um, so yeah, I think like for me, I had my cousin, like he's a graphic designer and I had him design the cover, which meant a lot to me um, and made that process of it really easy. Right. I was like told him vaguely what I wanted and he made something incredible. And then like the program I was in did the rest. They like formatted it and laid it out. And actually I didn't get to choose the font. They got to choose the font. Um, but so that, that part of the process, like I don't think was informed as much by my process. Mm-hmm. But the actual writing of it, I was like, wow, like this is hard. And it's hard when you make a change in chapter one. And then you're like, wait a second. Now I want to change something in this chapter. And it's like constantly a cycle. And I don't know how anybody fully feels like a book is done by the time they publish it. That's like beyond me. Yeah. So you wrote this, you published it. And then how were you able to like market it or sell it or, right. or, or I did like a terrible spread job. the word? Absolutely terrible job doing that. Partially because this was like two months before COVID and I had a lot of plans. And then they like got blown up. Um, yeah. so I would like, there's one bookstore that I talk about a lot. That's a used bookstore in Gloucester called Dogtown books. It's my favorite used bookstore. Spent a lot of hours in there and I love it. And I write a lot about it. Um, like a, one of chapters like kind of devoted to it. And I was going to like do a reading there and like talk about it. And like, maybe that was going to be one way that I marketed it. That like a lot of these things got kind of thrown out the window. Yeah, that's tough. Um, and then I think with little distance, right? It got to like six or eight months past and I looked back and I was like, ah, oh, like there were so many things I wanted to change that I almost felt and I still feel like almost a little bit embarrassed. I'm like, I can't believe all these people are reading this. Like it kind of sucks in these ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely think that like if I were to want to do like go through that process again, I would want a second edition before like I gave it to anybody else. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but I also think I'm being hard on myself. I don't know. Yeah. But. Well, I feel like, like you said, that's always going to happen, I think, when you look back on a piece of art. But um, what do you think it is about the book itself that's, like, timeless, that can't be, um, like, people talk about audiobooks mm-hmm. and people talk about ebooks and all of those things. I've tried those out, but there's something about the book that is, like you said, and like you worked on, yeah. timeless. Yeah. What do you think it is that can't be replicated in any way? Right. That's such a like big question and I do try to answer it to some extent, but I think it's also just a feeling like I don't think it's ironically something you can put into words in a book, right? Like I think that there's something about holding like this paper and like physically feeling it diminish in your hands, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're reading an online article or listening to something, you're not feeling your way through it. Like there's a tactile element to turning pages and slowly feeling like the story diminish and it becoming like closer to you. Um, and it also devotes all of, like, you have to have all of your attention, right? Like there's something about reading that is different from other things that you can like do as a hobby because you can't necessarily read something and be like multitasking. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas sometimes I find like, even when I'm like trying to read on an iPad or something, like something comes in and my, I get distracted like very easily versus like when you're reading a book, it's like, there's no screen, there's no notification, there's like you're just you and like feeling these pages, like holding them and like moving through the story literally. That's, um, that's so true. And I think that's why for a lot of people it's hard to, to read because you've got, you know, your phone distraction, mm-hmm. things buzzing and 
just our minds in the world today aren't used to just sitting down with something and like putting all attention on that without multitasking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then for my senior elective right now, I have, I've been reading this book, When Breath Becomes Air. Have you, okay. have you read that? I don't that? think so. Uh, but I'm, I can't put it down. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to bring it into my class, but mm-hmm. I didn't order it for everyone at the beginning of the year because right. I'm just discovering it now. I'm just reading it now. And I was thinking, I have the, I found the PDF online. It's like 200 pages. Like, can we, can we read it in class? And I was thinking, looking at the screen, trying to read this book, it's just it's not going to be the right? same. Yeah. It's not the same. I I hate reading on computers, right? Like the iPad makes it so much easier. I think a lot of college I read so many PDFs on your computer and you're like scrolling through and it's just tiring in a way that like paper isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and tiring for your eyes, I think, in a way that paper isn't. But there's, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I think that the the fact that it lives, like the book lives, like you put it down and it's still like there versus like you like quit out of the screen and it's no longer there. Yeah. Also, there's something about that that I like. It's true. How about audiobooks? Do you ever listen to audiobooks or are you anti-audiobook as well? Well, The problem with audiobooks is that like inflection is different depending on who's reading it, right? That I don't mind an audiobook. Um, I don't really listen to a lot. Like I listen to stuff in the car, but other than that, I don't like wear headphones around all that often. Like I like to be present in lots of ways. So um, one, I don't have that many opportunities in my life where I'm reading an audiobook. But two, I think that there's something about like somebody else reading it. It's then not my internal voice reading it that makes it different. Yeah. And I don't really know how else to explain that. No, but. that's good. That's interesting. I haven't heard that point made too much. But because yeah. when like I'm reading something like it sounds different to me in my head in like we're reading the same words. So it really doesn't sound that different. But like it sounds different to me. Yeah. Well, it's your tone. It's the way that you interpret yeah. it. Yeah. The rhythm in which I would read it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, how about your teaching so far and coming to Gilman and kind of being put into the classroom for the first time? I remember my first year and I've told you a little bit about this, yeah. but it was definitely super hard and difficult. And I would looking back at it kind of like you look back at some of the pieces of your book project and was like, yeah. oh, maybe I shouldn't have done yeah. that or yeah. tried that out. But you kind of have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a mentor and an Miss amazing mentor, yeah. Beth Knapp, she's awesome. Yeah. She watches your classes. Such a blessing. Do you watch all of her classes too? I have so far, yeah. Okay. Well, all, her all of her tenth grade classes, all of the classes we teach are the same. Up, but I haven't been to her seniors yet. What is the What has the experience just been like so far in the classroom and mm-hmm. as a um, as a mentee and kind yeah. of learning this new skill? Yeah, I mean it's been humbling for sure. For sure, I think it's like again, like peeled back, like to go back to this metaphor for the third time, um, but to like peel back the layers of like, wow, my teachers were doing all of this. Um, it gives me a lot more respect for them, not that I didn't fully respect them before. Um, I think one thing that's been really cool for me to watch is like how my brain can be doing two things at once, like, and how you're like thinking about the next thing you're going to say, the next activity you're going to do, how much time is left, but I'm also able to like listen to what someone's saying. I don't know if you feel that way yeah, in the classroom. Totally. Um, but that has been cool. I think... The, like there are classes that have gone like my class on Friday I'm still pumped about like felt so good <laughs> there are other classes that don't necessarily feel that way but I think that it's been really fun to figure that out with the boys um, I think something that I have really enjoyed is being able to be like honest and vulnerable with them and like be co-creating the space and being like okay I'm learning this too like let's figure this out together and to watch the ways that they try to care for me just as like I really want to care for them um, 
And all of that is like really informed by this amazing woman that I get to watch teach in the morning, right? Like she teaches first period, I teach third, so I get to watch her and like just soak it up and like learn from her and then get to figure out, okay, what what is like authentic to me that I can include from that and like learning so much from that and then being able to do to like inform my teaching with it later. So it's kind of an all over the place answer, but it's been such a blessing to be surrounded by just the English department at Gilman. I think like everyone feels really supportive and you're given so much freedom. We've talked about this, that Mm -hmm. like if I think of something and I want to teach this chapter, the book that way, like it's like almost like fully encouraged. If I wouldn't, it's almost bad, right? Like if I feel passionate about teaching something a certain way or bringing something in, um, I'm supported even though I've only been teaching for a month and a half, right? Mm -hmm. That there's like this trust and support that feels like it's a really lovely environment to learn in and to figure out like what does it mean for me to be authentic as a teacher while also representing like good teaching practice from that I'm learning from those around me. So it was really all over the place. I hope that kind of answered your question. No, definitely, definitely. Um, What has it been like teaching boys? So you talked about like coming to an all boys school for the first time and... Um, maybe you weren't thinking about that as you were applying to jobs, but then you yeah. found Gilman and talked to Brian and now you're here. What has that experience been like in the classroom with, with boys only? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think I am constantly impressed by the boys here in a way that's really good for me, right? I don't think that my thought about high school boys just purely from my like high school experience was like oh they're these amazing impressive like intelligent vulnerable caring boys and that's like completely been transformed as I continue to spend time with them I think there's obviously days when it's like oh goodness like you're a fool Mm -hmm. like you're foolish and funny and like off topic and unfocused and disengaged and like a high school boy, like your brain is 15 years old in a way that's like undeveloped (laughs) and can be frustrating. Right. Um, but it, but there's also so many days like Friday where it's like, you're so impressive and like my, I'm just thrilled and it's so joyful and I feel so like encouraged and like cared, like I feel cared for because I can tell that you feel cared for, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. like that we're creating this like really engaging conversation together there are times like that that are just so fulfilling. Um, I think that in the water polo, like in water polo, it's been really funny to be around boys and athletics because it's so different mm-hmm. than the classroom, I feel like, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that has been definitely something that I've enjoyed getting to know and like figure out my place in that. Like, where can I perhaps interrupt something that's like maybe not a behavior that I would want? And where can I see that like that's also my expectation of boys sports is actually also wrong too. Yeah, interesting. Interesting the difference between the classroom and the mm-hmm. and the field or the pool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your observations of Beth and like what kind of sticks out to you about the way that she teaches that maybe you've um, kind of kept to your own teaching style mm-hmm. because that's something that we've talked about a little bit and um, was one of my challenges my first year was watching Brian and seeing how he does mm-hmm. certain things and trying to take some of those qualities into my own classroom, yeah. but also doing my own thing, which I think is so super important. And something that I found out somewhat late in that first year is like, I can't really stick to exactly what he's doing because I'm just a little bit different. Right. Um, right. It's such a personality thing. Yeah. It's such a feel thing to teach and to mm-hmm. like guide a conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what is it maybe that, that Beth does that you really like and you try to incorporate in your classes and maybe 
what are some things you're finding out about yourself in, in there that work? Yeah. Um, I think one thing, like Beth spends like five minutes every class, like checking in with every student, like as a whole class, asking every student, like, how are you doing? How's your day? What's something that's making you happy today? Like, what are you stressed about? Like every student and together we like as a class checking in with each person. Um, And I think that's like makes it creates a sense of community that's really amazing. Um, And so that's something that I've tried to incorporate. And it doesn't always look the same. I have a like a 17 person class. So by the time we get around, like sometimes I'm like, oh, this is taking a little bit too much time um, in a way that like doesn't feel productive because I feel like I lose some kids. Like we get halfway around the circle and they're like not listening anymore. Um, So I found other ways to do that. But that kind of like really intentional community building in the first beginning of class um, is something that she does that I love and that I try to include. Um, Beth also incorporates a break into all of her classes somewhere around the halfway point and like kind of switches gears when she comes back and that's also something that I've been trying to do. I think somebody told me the other day in like a pen class that like the age of your student is the amount of minutes they can like sit still and pay attention. Um, And so thinking about like those 15 minute marks, right? If I have 80 minutes, then I need to be thinking about around those 15 minutes, how am I going to switch stuff up? And I see Beth like really incorporating lots of different elements into her classroom, right? Like sometimes you'll be on the computer. Sometimes you'll like uh, just be in like looking in your book. Sometimes you're getting up and moving around, right? Like it feels as though she's able to get a lot of other voices into the classroom and keep things flowing in like a really wonderful way that will probably take me a long time to be able to build, but I do really admire Um, things that I've adjusted. I mean, I think that there's a level of like, I we're teaching the Odyssey, right? And like, I'm not familiar with this Greek world in a way that she is, like she's taught mythology before. And so I think that as a basis for, and that's more specific to right now, but there's a level of like confidence and comfort and discussion we can have, like she can have about that world that I'm not as comfortable with that I don't know. And so I've had to be really vulnerable and say like, that's a really good question about like the history of this God. Like I have no idea. Yeah. Like does anyone else know? Like Beth, do you know? Cause she's usually in the classroom. Right. Um, and so that's been really good for me. And I'm glad that I've started in a place where I can be like, that's a wonderful question. I have no idea. Like yeah. let's learn together. I think that's so important too is to just tell people when you don't know something i, I just kind of feel like that um has never gone poorly like yeah. just being vulnerable in that way it's like i don't know the answer to that question let's look it up and let's figure it out right i think everyone and, appreciates yeah. that yeah and beth does do that i don't want to act like she doesn't she definitely does that too and models that for me in a really lovely way as well yeah cool well it sounds like it's going well in there it's funny that third period on a Friday was the most recent I know. like I win. saw you before it and I was like this is gonna be hard but it was wonderful it yeah. was the best class I have ever I don't have a lot of classes I've ever taught best but, class you ever taught oh last my gosh, Friday I'm still pumped about it yeah that's awesome what, yeah. it, what went really well about it what, what specifically was so good everything no um, <laughs> no but really though it was like Beth and I were both amazed they the boys left the classroom and it was like what just happened like, that's this great was so cool. they were just so I felt like I heard from everybody they were so engaged there was this conversation about was a particular um, character honorable in this part of the book and I asked this question thinking we would like have a few answers and move on I had a whole activity plan for the second half of class that we never got to because they like everyone wanted to talk and had specific things that they wanted to say about this question and they were responding to one another and like taking each other well like on this page it says right like 
modeling behaviors that I had been attempting to like guide them towards the whole year mm-hmm. in such impressive ways, like saying all of these really interesting things, bring up good questions, like posing questions to each other. It was just beautiful. It was so lovely. And that conversation was really energizing. The activity we did before when was really like, it was just all overall, like I was really impressed with them. And that's one of those days when it's like, oh my gosh, like these kids are 15 and they're doing like this work. This is amazing. Yeah. They're catching on. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, well, great. Uh, so Davina, did you have a, we talked a lot about a lot of books, your short story that you're Oh, Fantomina. Fantomina that I need to read. Yeah. Um, Is there a book that you've read recently or just in your life that sticks out to you as a book recommendation for anyone watching or listening to this? Yes, this is a really hard question. I think I'm going to choose a book I read recently that I really loved, which is 100 Years of Solitude, I think I'm going to go with, um, which was just like an amazing book that made me cry for like many reasons, not just like sadness, but like beauty and yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. So that's been on my list for a while. Um, What motivated you to read that and was that this past summer yeah it was um this past summer and i took a creative writing class where that we read like the first part of it and this teacher who was like an amazing there this professor who was an amazing um fiction writer was she said that like this excerpt or like she said this excerpt and 100 years of solitude in general is like the best book ever written and i was like okay well, then I have to read it. Like, yeah. if this is what you're saying, like, I kept trying to read it. And she was like, no, like, this is best book ever. Like, you should read it. Spend your time. Do this. And so I couldn't say no. Like, of course I have to read it then. And what was it that you liked so much about it? Why Why is that the best book that you've read recently? The, yeah, so many reasons. <laughs> and that's so such a hard question. Like, just on a basic level, like, the his, like, technique and his language, even though it's translated right, like, there's so much beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you read a sentence and you're like, this sentence actually started two pages earlier, is still going, but I'm still engaged and I love it. Yeah. Um, and, like, the life cycles that happen in this book, right? Because it's, like, this family over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, like, very magical realism stuff, right? Because uh, it's Gabriel Garcia Marquez who's, like, lives in that realm is amazing and like so captivating even though you're reading about like a similar life cycle over and over again right and the names repeat and there's so much repetition and and confusion and like it goes in circles but it's all different and you end up at the end and you're like wow like I just went on this journey of this like generational journey that I learned so much about like this one particular family over a hundred years and like feel attached to in like the most beautiful way and also like I'm sad for it and I'm angry and I'm like, I don't know. This is a terrible explanation of the book. No, no, I'm I'm following. Um, 400, 500 pages. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a investment. That's something that, I mean, it's somewhat rare that I can get through a 400, 500 page book these days because Mm -hmm. not because I'm distracted like we were talking about earlier, but Mm -hmm. because I mean, I really have to like it. I really have to enjoy it to yeah. invest that much time Right. when there's all these other books that I want to yeah. get to and read. Um, was it was the magical realism something that kind of hooked you or the language yeah. for the most part to yeah. get through all of those pages? So I took a break halfway through. Like I took a break. You put it down. I put it down. Yeah. I, and I think that there's some like there, that there's this idea you need to read one book from beginning to end or like if you start a book then you need to finish the book and that just makes people stop reading like people just don't read because they feel like they have to like a book because it's a classic or like they've started this book and they have to finish it and it's Mm -hmm. like no if a book's not for you put it down like there's a book out there that you'll like 
And so I did put it down and like halfway through the summer, I put it down and I was like, this isn't doing it for me right now. And I read Girl, Woman, Other, which is another suggestion I have. It's Girl, amazing. Woman, Other. Girl, Woman, Other. Absolutely incredible book. Okay. And then I came back to it and fell in love with it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, Davina, thank you very much uh, for this conversation. It's great having you on. Hopefully, it didn't feel like an interview or anything. No, and it was, no, good. it was good. We covered pretty much everything, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck to you this year with the Penn program and your classes. You. And uh, we'll see you in the English yeah, tournament. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.